I would like to welcome all the friends and families coming from abroad to share with us and with Abdullah and Mary Jo this special moment and to witness a lifetime, yes. Allow me to continue in Arabic, but I'm sure feelings have no language and hope you can resonate with us. If you can, just a basic backdrop to this issue, why there's no civil marriage option, where it stems from in terms of legality and maybe going back to the French mandate. Sure. So if you have just a general yeah, picture. Yeah, a bird's eye view. So I would start by disagreeing with the fact that there's no civil marriage option in Lebanon. I would say there is a civil marriage option in Lebanon, and there have been problems at times with enforcing it. The, the starting point, I think, is one of the misconceptions is there is no civil marriage in Lebanon from a legal perspective or that one needs to issue a new law or change the constitution in order for there to be civil marriage in Lebanon, legally speaking. And I think the starting point is to start by saying, no, actually, under Lebanese, the Lebanese constitution, under the existing Lebanese legal framework, civil marriage is possible. Then why did it take so long for that to materialize? Sure. So I think the, um, the, the, the starting point um, before really stepping into civil marriage per se, because one can think of civil marriage is just part of what we call family law as lawyers. So there's adoption, there's inheritance, there's child custody in cases of divorce. So the marriage is just one of these elements, but the whole umbrella is civil family law. And the question as opposed to um, law that's governed by a religious legal framework and religious institutions. And so the question, I think, is totally on point. Why did it take this long um, for people to start to contemplate that there might be legal under Lebanese law? And I think that's because fundamentally, as Lebanese, we often tend to think of Lebanon as a mosaic of sects, that what we have is really 18 sects, and we put an umbrella on top of them, and we say, this is Lebanon that there, is a, there are these blocks. There are, these are the building blocks of society. It's these 18 sects. And I think, so the first sort of Copernican revolution, before getting to civil marriage, which is just one item, is to say, actually, is to realize that under existing laws, that's not how Lebanon is configured legally. There are Lebanese who choose to declare a sect to the state and those who don't. So that's the cardinal or primary distinction. Lebanese that choose to declare a sect, and I think that's, if, we're, if I'm not mistaken, we're getting into a, a more recent issue, which is the ability to remove the sect. Well, but that ability to remove, which people started activating um, in, in the last 10 years or so, is based on laws that exist since 1936. Right. But let's go back then to 1936. Sure. Choice is therefore 80 years old, 82 years, 83 years old. If it was always an option, do you, do you have perspective on why it wasn't activated back then? I think that um, there are a few reasons. 
One is um, it takes a bit of digging into existing laws mm -hmm. to see um, that um, people can remove the reference. It also takes um, a bit of courage in a society that's so sectarian, mm. because it's not just a matter of law and, you know, one just removes the reference text. Okay, but, you know, what are the types of social pressures and social questions that you will be asked? Mm -hmm. um, and given that Lebanon is such a sectarian society, later fell into civil war, um, seats in parliament are divided according to sect, um, it's really, even though the choice may be there and obvious conceptually or legally, it, it's not obvious personally, emotionally, so, sociologically to take that leap. Even if, you know, the door is open, doesn't mean it's so easy to step out of the door. So other than the few discussions that did happen in the 1950s, 60s, and I believe in the 1990s as well, Elias yes. Krawi brought it up, but it was stopped. Right. The, w were there individual attempts? Yes. So mm -hmm. there was a uh, lawsuit brought by a lawyer um, I'm blanking on the exact year, but several decades ago, who brought a claim to remove reference to sect, and that was, uh, he, he, he won that judgment. I don't believe, though, he ended up having the courage to remove reference to sect himself. That's interesting. So, so it really starts from there. The civil marriage option, the, the prelude to that is removing the sect. Yes. Okay. Were there any civil marriage attempts out of that orbit? Out of that orbit, there were draft laws that were presented that said, without removing references act, uh, we'll give you optional civil marriage. Optional civil marriage, optional. What, what is that? So it means that if you, you can still belong uh, administratively to a sect, but you can ha sign a contract that's before a notary public or a civil institution, and it'll be granted if you want. I find those approaches a bit questionable because in law, we call this a conflict of jurisdiction. If you're still registered under a sect, under the Lebanese constitution, religious authorities have a claim to you. Right. And if you have a civil marriage in that context, there's a conflict mm -hmm. as to who, what law prevails, and it's not, it's not logically tidy or clear. Right. Um, even those who get married in Cyprus today, and without removing reference to Cyprus or anywhere else abroad, um, their civil marriage it's not impossible for a court, a religious court, to claim jurisdiction if there's a divorce. Because here's the argument in that case. The religious court says, oh, I know the contract is civil, so I don't have subject matter jurisdiction, which is what we lawyers say, we don't have jurisdiction over the content, but I have personal jurisdiction. These persons belong to me. So that's where the personal becomes political in Lebanon. Yes. So the, even in that framework, there was no clear-cut line between um, the civil marriage option and family law. They were kind of mingled together. Did I get that right? The, the draft proposals right. never really severed? Yes. The, um, the to two. my knowledge, the civil marriage uh, law of the 90s was just related to civil marriage, but I may be wrong about that okay. fact. So even so, going back decades, the, really, the only clear option was to remove your sect. I think so. It's still mm -hmm. to this day, yeah. the only uh, clear way in which one is not governed or subject to religious laws is to declare to the state that one is not subject to them. Mm -hmm. And that sort of ends the story there. Um, what I'd like to say here is because you say uh, to go and tell the state to not declare a sect. I mean, it's a bit perverse that we're even in this position. Uh, I think I've never, I did remove reference to sect from my state records. 
There's um, a great actually uh, photo that you showed me of your of your uh, birth uh, not your birth certificate. Yeah, it's similar. It's called an Ikhraj Qaid. It's great because it's uh, so technologically enhanced, right? There's just a pen ink. So it's a slash sign. And and you know when I went to remove reference to sect, um, I went to the Ministry of Interior. Um, one doesn't necessarily go to the Ministry of Interior, but because I'm from Beirut, that's the place I would go to because it, and, and, and let's, let's actually, let's talk yeah. about it. So what exactly is the slash? Out? Exactly. So I went and I had my, I filled out a form cause there is a form that one can get, um, that explains why one's re- choosing to remove reference to sect. And I handed it to the person and they kind of were disgruntled at first. And I said, no, you have to do this. This is my right. And they're like, fine, come back tomorrow. I came back tomorrow. And they gave me the Ikhraj Qaid, the registry certificate. And instead of, there's a category that says Madhab, which yes, means sect. Yes, I see it here. Madhab and uh, beneath it, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to look at Sana, it. Sana'a, which means job. Yes, right. So the, both are removed. That's, yeah, the person who removed my sect also put a slash deciding <laughs> I was unemployed. Great. So you're not unemployed <laughs> I don't know why. Without, without religion either. <laughs> He chose this guy. He's not declaring a sect. He must be unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) Only the non-religious get no work. (laughs) So, so I'll get to the point about being non-religious or not. But um, so what he wrote, what they wrote to me, I went back the next day, and they wrote to they wrote Bedoun Madhab, which means no sect. And I made a fuss and I said, "Listen, I didn't say I had no sect. I didn't say I wasn't religious." I said, I don't want to declare a sect. Right. You can't say, you can't decide on my behalf. I may have no sect, I may have no religion, or I might be very pious. There are religious persons who have removed reference to sect in Lebanon, yeah. just as there are people who are atheists who have done it. Yeah. So, And so this is about whether I want my relationship to the Lebanese state as a citizen to be a direct one, or do I want it to be mediated by a sectarian framework? Right. Right. And that doesn't mean in my personal life I'm religious or not. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. And it also doesn't have to do with whether socially I choose to, you know, celebrate Ramadan or Marmarun or whatever. These could be even social events. Um, or So the state is not really giving you an option to be religious and to have civil marriage. You need to have no religion to get civil marriage. In other words, Bidun Mazhab, which translates to without without right. without sect, right? Without religion. You are challenging that because you want to have the ability to be religious on paper. Right. Right. Um, and you were Which is a slash sign preserves anything and you, it preserves your right to be religious or not. And it means that you've subjected yourself to civil laws, even though you may well be religious. Can I ask you in, in uh, legal terms, is it the same thing in Lebanese law, the slash or bidun mazhab? Are they the same? The, the, yeah, so so the slash is not just a personal request I made. Mm-hmm. So the um, the ability of Lebanese to remove reference to sect, was, there's a judicial opinion that came out in 2007 at the Ministry of Justice that confirmed that Lebanese citizens under the Lebanese constitution, which preserves absolute freedom of conscience and other fundamental rights, including the right to declare or not declare a religion. So this right, um, because the Lebanese constitution incorporates the universal declaration of human rights, this right is a fundamental constitutional right in Lebanon. And that's what the judges ruled. Mm-hmm. And so so they said you can remove reference to sect, but they didn't operationalize it and say, 
okay, so then what do we put? Maybe we put a blank. They didn't speak to that. And then what happened right after, a year after, in 2008 or 9, I believe, uh, Minister of Interior Ziad Baroud issued what's called a ta'mim, or circular, and says, it informed administrators, you have to comply with these requests, and you put a slash sign, it literally the, the circular sh- puts a slash yes. sign and yeah. says you put a slash because to, to, to signify non-declare. And so that's now the legal basis for, oh, it's not just Abdullah who wants to put a slash sign. Abdullah is saying this is the legal request requirement. But prior to that, there, so if I'm not... It wasn't clearly regulated. I see. The, the choice was there, but it wasn't regulated. Exactly. As of 2008 or nine, it's become an, an official option. Exactly. It's become a more... It, you had the right under laws, but it wasn't operationalized. Right. After the decision by the judges, Barud then took that and and issued the circular. And as a result, it's a more mechanical, operational. It's not just a right in the Constitution. It's also something that's very tangible. So you can now retain your religion, but not put it on your birth certificate. Yes, on the Ikhraj Eid. On the Ikhraj Eid. Okay. And so just what the Ikhraj Eid is, it's a image of what's called the personal status registry form documents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's how right. one, so it's what contains... I, honestly, I never, I mean, I don't like calling it birth certificate because yeah. that's not what it is. So could you say that again, just that long title? So, <laughs> sure. Um, so what what we have in Lebanon are these sujillat uh, nufus as I experienced when I went to the interior ministry. You know, this really sounds like a haunted house film. But I, so I went and when I told him, I want to make sure that you actually remove the reference. And I don't want you, you know, because maybe you just gave me a khraj qaid. I want to make sure that you really removed it from your fundamental records. Because in khraj aid, this, this document, you can it get issued all the time. Mm-hmm. So he told me, sure, come. And he opened this huge book. These books are like <laughs> volumes, yeah. really big, right? Dust they have tons in. of family. Yeah. It's not digitized. It's not digitized. It's not Even digitized. until today, it's not Til digitized. Today. So and these are just removing ledgers. Removing references sec literally means he like goes through this big book of thousands of pages that has my family in it and other families in it, finds my name, takes a pen, takes a beak, all right, finds where there's a sect near my name, and scratches it out. That's crazy. That's what it means. And then whenever I request an ikhraj qaid, which is just a a sort of an image of this, a reflection of this, they will open the book, they'll see, oh, this guy scratched it out, so I'm going to put a slash line on a slash sign on this document. Every ikhraj ed you get now will have slash. that slash. Yes. You don't need to go back and do this over and no, over and over. No, because I did it, so that's why I didn't fundamentally remove it from the ikhraj ed, because the ikhraj is just an image, it's just an yes. evidentiary document. Yeah. Do you have an idea of how many people have done this? My understanding is that it's in the thousands in Lebanon. Around 10,000, I believe. So but maybe 10, more. It's hard to know, but I, I think at least 10,000. So that's as of 2008-9, the numbers reached? Yeah, so it that, started that's considerable. around then. That's actually, I thought it was much less. No. Okay. You know, your, yours is the second one I've seen. The first one, oh, I think he's uh, somebody we both admire, is Kamal Salibi. Yes, of course. Of course, the, the famous historian. And I actually got to see that Ikhraj Ed of his framed on his wall. Right. But, and I... Trying to remember, I think it was the slash as well. Yes, it's the same. It, it, the same thing, yeah. Um, it's so really Kamal Salibe uh, has a famous sentence also that he said in front of me. He said, "All my life, or at least for a large part of my life, I defended Lebanon's sectarian system of government, and I'm now convinced of the need to move on." And I really 
have tremendous respect for um, the self-reflection involved um, and the freedom that he had to you know, change his mind and take action based on it. I mean, he must um, have been in his 70s when he did that, at right? least, yeah. yeah. And I, he's among the first... Yes. Since that law went My into effect. The first person to remove reference to sect, because we mentioned the lawyer who won a case uh, decades ago, but he never actually acted on it. Right. And that's where we're talking about even though one could do it, it really, even the guy who brought a lawsuit didn't do it. Didn't do it. So crazy. The first person who later did it uh, was a Lebanese intellectual called Talal Husseini, um, who is very much fundamental and instrumental in removing in the whole campaign to remove reference to sect and to civil marriage. Um, so he was the first person who got it removed once there was the judicial opinion in 2007. Um, so he, in a way, opened the door to yes. the 10,000 or so that have yes, done it since. I think definitely without his research and perseverance, we wouldn't be here today. Is it that complicated for each case to do what you did? In other words, you have to go to that ledger get the sigil, uh, what was it called again? Uh, nafus? Sigilet Nafus. Going there, does it, does it require the same procedure for everyone who wants to have it struck from their so record? So right now, yeah, but it's not that complicated. I mean, one goes one day and then goes back the day after. I mean, getting in the... I mean, Lebanese bureaucracy is annoying in general. I don't think this is more annoying than, you know, registering a new piece of land or anything. Okay, so we're talking two trips. Yeah, in principle. In principle. Yeah. And are there any other stumbling blocks that you faced? I, I did not. Um, there was no pushback when you were doing this. Uh, other anyone? than the fact that they mistakenly wrote Bidun, Bidun Madhab, uh-huh. and I made yeah. a fuss about it. In my case, there was wasn't. there anyone on the, in that, in, in the whole thing, was there anyone trying to persuade you not to? Uh, in my case, no, maybe because they thought I was, they asked me, what do you do? Because they well, thought they, I was, came, they, they struck that from your record they, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I told them I was a lawyer, but <laughs> they're like, ah, okay. Like this guy, helpless to argue with this guy. <laughs> like, uh, sure you are. <laughs> Has it changed your relationship to the country or to the government? When you, when you see that record, personally, you, I've always, uh, felt that I am a Lebanese citizen and not uh, first and foremost. And so in my view of the state and of Lebanese society, it hasn't. Mm -hmm. But what it has changed is the fact that I feel that I am now recognized, that my views and, you know, who I am is now reflected officially. And so so it's not that it's changed me, but I feel I'm now accepted in a pluralistic society that's truly pluralistic, not just pluralistic... Muslims tolerate Christians, but pluralistic in the sense we have people who want to be sectarian in their relation to the state and those who may be religious but want to have a direct relationship. So what we've done here is to broaden what it means to be in a pluralistic society. This isn't top-down secularism. This isn't like everyone has to remove reference to sect. How dare you want to have a religious marriage? How dare you pray? How dare Not at all. This is not about that at all. This is about individuals... If they want, they should be allowed to remove reference to sect. They should be allowed to have a civil marriage. They should be allowed to live the life that they choose in the same way that individuals who are Muslim, Christian, worshippers or not, are allowed as well. It's about really making the concept of pluralism and liberalism authentic. Is that the fear that once you go down this road, you are upending the whole thing? 
Is that what the hesitation is? On, because on the part of the administrators? Well, yeah, because you're, you're talking about a top-down thing that is not there, right? So the sectarian system is not threatened by you as an individual going to get that slash. But is that the, is that the larger picture when it comes to opposition, that if enough people do this, the sectarian system that has, some, that has lasted in the country, that has survived many different periods in Lebanese history, that that is the end result? I think the, there's nothing more terrifying to an intolerant system, which is sectarianism, than a tolerant idea. Um, if this were a radical, uh, Marxist, secularist, we're going to delete you in the same way that sectarianism wants to delete citizens and individuals, those totalitarianisms understand one another. Um, and there have been movements in Lebanon that are fascist secularist. This is not one of them. This is one that has a more rational, rule-of-law-based approach and that progressively, I think, can be appealing and is dangerous. Because the guy who's going to oh, come and say... You, so, sorry, appealing yeah. and dangerous. Okay, so who, who, let's, let's then address that issue. Who is really, really uh, threatened or opposing what you're talking about? which is the progressive, rational issue. I think that fundamentally the system in Lebanon in which politicians are elected based on sect and take it upon themselves to represent sects and then can go on committing corruption and crimes in the name of the sect and then you can't hold them accountable because, Lord behold, you've touched their sect. All of that in the long term if you start creating a space where it's not just about sex, where it's not just sex, it's where it's not just... Okay, we need to... <laughs> yeah, well, it's about both, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, marriages, for sure. Yeah. Some healthier than others, but yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, I, think, I think definitely the political framework and the polit political parties uh, eventually can be uh, in jeopardy. Definitely religious authorities um, have... Uh, quite violently attacked and in a very intolerant way, uh, civil marriage. In, in what sense? What, what, what has, I, I don't, I can't think of, maybe you can share, what sure. were the violent uh, cases? So, so, so not, sorry, what I mean by, I said they attacked it violently, not physical violence, but in terms of rhetoric. Uh, verbal rhetoric. Yes, yeah. in terms of rhetoric, um, so, in terms but, of... Uh, so in, sort other, of in other words, that is the end result, that if this were to pick up momentum, you're, you're, up, you're removing the traditional order. I'm not removing. I'm I know, yeah, so you don't think so, but I'm, from their perspective, why would they be so opposed to something that is not that big of a deal? I don't know if it's not that big of a deal. Um, I think they know well that Lebanese society is a mosaic, but not just their mosaic, which is Muslims and Christians only. It's also a mosaic of more conservative and more liberal and the more liberal That's are today totally suffocated, but I think they know that, you know, they don't want to put an extra chair on the t at the table. So it's curtailing their involvement in in what exactly? But by you doing this, by you removing your religion, who who is losing influence? Those who today have a monopoly. So the political leaders of the sect, any sect, and the religious authorities who have monopoly today over marriage, monopoly over divorce, monopoly over inheritance. This is just like, if you think about it in economic terms, we started off saying I was an economics major. The biggest, th all monopolies hate any competition, even if small, because these people have hiked up the prices 
their Lord behold untouchable. And here comes someone who says, I'm going to make it easier. You can be religious, but do you want to be sectarian in relation to the state? We can do things lighter. We can have more options. More options, I think, is better. But the guy who has a monopoly hates it and is going to try to crush it from the get-go because once the option rolls, rolls forward or kicks in, it's really hard to, to curl it back. So this is why there's really a strong push now, I think. That's interesting. So you're, it, it's, it really comes down to the systemic flaws in the country, that when you talk about this issue, you're talking about the bigger debate over what is Lebanon exactly and... Yes, I think this is is an existential issue. It's not just about removing reference. It's not just about a bureaucratic step. Right. So what it should be bureaucratic is not. Yes. In essence, yeah. And are are you... I mean, are there other issues that relate to this? I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about women's right to pass nationality down to their children. Does that fall into a similar framework that it's up, it is upending something that has been systemic in Lebanon's history? So I think women's, so the women's right to, to give nationality to their children, which is fundamental, um, is a matter of immigration law, not family law. Uh, right, but, but the yeah. what should be bureaucratic as well. I mean, it's yes, and there was actually a decision that said that a woman could give uh, citizenship to her chil- children, and then the guy, the judge who t- made this decision, who I actually met at the wedding of Khulud and Nidal, he was sitting. Well, then they, you know, in Lebanon, they decided that given that he was a free thinker and applied the constitution, the best decision would be to promote him to a, uh, another role. But in that other role, even though he'd be technically promoted, he would lose any actual adjudicative authority. And he ended up in a new role with not, without even an office. So there are no <laughs> cases of women passing down their nationality directly to their kids without I don't without believe Lebanese. that it's been executed. I know there's a favorable decision. Right. I don't believe that the, uh, the, the state has actually issued a passport or citizenship records based on. It is often claimed that imagination transcends the limits of experience, that the most perfect and beautiful persons can only exist in our minds. Once again, you've proven to me how mistaken a philosopher can be. <laughs> Thanks to you, I have stopped imagining and started living. I love you, Michael. Let's get to Khalud and Nidal, which is something you were involved with. Right. And maybe from there we can talk about the bigger stuff. For but sure. this is one case that was successful. Right. So, yeah. And, yeah, and maybe you can take us back to that. This was 2011, I think, or 2012? Um, 2013. Sorry, 2013. And since you were an informal advisor to that case, maybe you can sort of share some stories from that. Sure, uh, of course. Phase. There are many stories. Um, so Khulud Sukariye and Nidal Darwish are two Lebanese um, who were registered uh, khul, uh, under sects. Khulud was registered as a Sunni Muslim and Nidal was registered as a Shia Muslim. Uh, they're both from the Biqa and um, they both removed reference to sect and were the first couple to attempt, based on removing reference to sect, a civil marriage in Lebanon. Um, they got married before a notary public called Joseph Pshara, who is from a Maronite family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so they signed the marriage contract and then went to register it at the Ministry of Interior. 
on the grounds that this is a legal marriage. Um, because once again, the law RL60, this is a law that was issued in 1936. That is the law RL60? Yeah, that's how it, so RL République Libanaise. Oh, and, okay, of course. And 60 is the number, yeah, right. because it's 1936, so. Interesting, so that that's the law in case anyone wants to look at it, RL60. Yeah, for sure. So okay. maybe I should just step back and say something about RL60. RL60 is, so the fundamental law that gives rights to civil marriage is the constitution because it incorporates the universal declaration of human rights value, principles of equality and freedom. But then more specifically, um, law RL 60, which was issued in 1936 is the fundamental law that regulates family law in Lebanon. And that law specifically says in the same way that it says that if you're registered under a given Muslim sect, the fat religious laws of that sect apply or if you're registered under a, a Christian sect, the same. It says those who do not administratively belong to a sect, the civil law applies. So, right. Hence, that would apply to anyone who gets a civil marriage outside of the country. Uh, th no, well, th th that's different because RL60 also says it can recognize them abroad without removing references. Without, okay, right, right. Um, so, so this is a law that goes back to 1936 yes. and it's only been activated in recent years. <laughs> yeah. Well, the part about removing reference yes, and having... Exactly. Other than that, all of um, religious marriages in Lebanon are based on RL60. People sometimes are surprised, like, oh, you found in in you know, you found something 36. I'm like, no, all marriages in Lebanon are based on RL60. So, and in the same way, you know, if the civil marriages for those who remove references sect isn't valid, the other ones aren't also because they're all based on, the, you know, they're equally based on the same law. It's the same footing. Okay. And this is why legally it's very hard to attack it. All the attempts to attack it have been more, you know, political blackmail, social pressure. I haven't honestly heard, I know, as a lawyer, I know that there are situations that are gray. I haven't heard really a strong legal argument. And, you know, if there were, I'd be thinking about and trying to counter it, but I haven't really heard a strong legal argument. I've heard a lot of social pressure. Yeah. And misinformation, some of it makes sense because not, you know, this is a new attempt. So you, okay, interesting. So that was the law that you brought or that Khalud and Nidal brought with them. They right. were, okay. And you, and how did you get personally involved yourself? Um, so I was, uh, I had met Khulud and Nidal and I had helped them in terms of, I had written articles at the time, helped spread information. There was a campaign because at the time after they registered the marriage at, uh, well, tried to register the Ministry of Interior, the Ministry of Interior uh, refused. And then the Ministry of Interior was, we pressured them to get the opinion of the Ministry of Justice because the Ministry of Interior does not have competence about matters of law, right? The Ministry of Interior um, has competence to enforce the law, to apply it, but not to, you know, decide what the law is, especially when it's a new question, right? It's a, a case that hadn't presented itself. So we asked them to get the opinion of the Ministry of Justice. The Ministry of Justice uh, asked this committee of high judges to them give the opinion because, and they did, and it was unanimously favorable. And so that opinion went to the Ministry of Interior. The Ministry of Interior was baffled and actually asked them, sent them another letter. I, I, that's actually bad lawyering because what I can tell you is that if you ask anyone for their opinion once and they're a judge, 
and they issue a decision, they will never backtrack <laughs> because, <Right. Yeah. laughs> because it's, you know, their words at stake. Exactly, so yeah. that was their, you know, a bit of legal incompetence on the part of the Ministry of Interior. So the Ministry of Justice, the judges again said, yes, of course, what, you know, are you stupid? So like, stop sending this back to us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and actually there are five points that really came out of that decision. Um, well, there was a previous decision that said you can remove reference to sex, so that's the first point, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, the second point is that people who remove reference to sex preserve the constitutional right to marry. That's rights inalienable. It's not like I removed reference or I can't get married anymore. Right. But because RL60 says those who remove reference to sex are subject to the civil law, they can only get married through a civil marriage. So that's why we have such a strong legal argument. Mm -hmm. Because if you tell people who remove reference to sex, they can't have a civil marriage, you're telling them one of two things. One, they can't get married at all, mm -hmm. which is really you know, a violation of a fundamental right to marriage. Yeah. Or you're telling them you have to go and declare a sect to the state, which fundamentally violates the rights not to declare a sect and to manifest their religious beliefs freely. So this is sort of the bedrock proposition. You know, It's airtight in that way. It's not like, oh, people remove reference to sex and now they're free to get, no, you remove reference to sex, you can only, you can get married, you have the right to get married and you can only get a civil marriage now. And they were the first. They were the first couple. And so then after the two opinions, um, the Ministry of Interior caved in um, and it got registered. And how many have been registered since their case? About a dozen, I believe. So the Cyprus option, right. which is what many Lebanese do to get civil marriage, let's Talk about that. When did that become a tradition among Lebanese to just go to Cyprus and come back? I'm not sure exactly. I know it's been going on for decades. I mean, the law, RL60 of 1936, allows recognition of civil marriages abroad. So this is an argument, actually. What's interesting of it from a legal perspective is people cannot say civil marriage goes against public order in Lebanon or high laws in Lebanon. Because if that were the case, Lebanon would not recognize civil marriages contracted abroad. It's not just the hypocrisy that, oh, if you, if you go a few hundred miles, you can get it. But it's, it's more than just the hypocrisy. By recognizing these marriages abroad, the Lebanese institutions are saying these marriages do not conflict with Lebanese law. Because if they did conflict, if they conflicted with the Constitution or with public order, they wouldn't be enforced. And there are states in the world, Islamic states, religious countries, that may not enforce civil marriages. And so Lebanon, um, the Lebanese legal system, by recognizing these marriages abroad, is confirming that civil marriages does not conflict with the law, beyond just the hypocrisy of it. There's also a legal effect to it. Is Cyprus the closest place? I mean, could you literally just go to international waters get somebody on a boat with you and do it with Lebanon in the distance? No, the closest place is Beirut. We can have civil marriages in <laughs> Lebanon. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, that, well said. But I mean, uh, is it that you need to go to a foreign country to have it smooth, or is it just you need to be outside of Lebanese territory? If you are registered under a sect, because if you've removed reference to sect, you can have a marriage in Lebanon. Right, I'm talking about the... If you're registered yeah. under a sect you need to be subject to the jurisdiction of another state. That does not mean, I believe, um, that you need to be in their territory. So let's say you're in a boat um, that has, it's the law of the flag, and so if you're in a boat in high sea 
but the boat has the flag of Cyprus or of the United States. Right. So, you, so let's say you have an, an American boat in international waters between Lebanon and Cyprus. You could get a, have a marriage under U.S. law there because it would be under U.S. jurisdiction. I so see. the key concept is whether you're under jurisdiction of a foreign state, not whether you're in the territory per se. So foreign state civil vessel, marriage. Sorry. Or foreign state's civil marriage, wherever that marriage is. Yes, wherever that state exerts a jurisdiction, it can exert it on its territory, Could but also through vessels that at carry... At an embassy in Lebanon? Could you do it at, at um, a separate embassy? I don't embassy? know if the states... In for, uh, um, I'm not sure. I don't know if embassies in Lebanon are willing to perform them. I don't think there is a legal obstacle unless, I mean, it's at the will of that foreign state. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm picking, There may I'm be something in Lebanese issue. law. I've not looked into the question. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of probing because I'm really curious that is Cyprus the most, is Cyprus the easiest option? No, I insist the easiest is to do it in Beirut. Of course. Remove reference to sect. Now, Cyprus has been allowing this to happen. If yeah. Cyprus well, were to... Than, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I mean, they're thrilled because it's they're a tourism. Thrilled. Yeah. The number one uh, loser from institutionalizing civil marriage in Lebanon is neither the religious institutions in Lebanon nor the political ones. Number one loser is the Ministry of Tourism of Cyprus. <laughs> I mean, That's a good point. To force Lebanese who want to have a religious marriage to go to a, another country that has religious marriages. No, I find that shameful. In the same way, it's blatant discrimination to say, oh, you who want to have a civil marriage, oh, you're second-class citizens. You know, you're Lebanese nationals. It's true, but, you know, too bad. But that's unfortunately what happens. Yes, that, but that. so when the... So I think we were saying earlier, civil marriages started getting registered um, under Marwan Sherbil. Yeah, let's go back yeah. in the chronology of that. So Marwan Sherbil's Minister of Interior on, in 2008, I believe... Until no, so he was Minister of Interior at least in 2013, which is when the reg- marriages were registered. 2013? Yes. I'm sorry, I'm referring to Ziad Barud. Yes, so, Ziad Barud, I think, was in 2009. 2009, yeah. is that right? Okay, well... I mean, it may have been for other years, but when he issued the circular mm-hmm. for removing reference to sect, I think that was in 2009. I think it was so, February 2009, if I'm not February mistaken. 2009, so it starts there. He removes the circular. He issues, yes. uh, he issues the circular, sure. sorry. Yeah. He removes the obstacles towards, yeah. yeah. And that paves the way for Marwan Sharbir, who then authorizes the other... What is Marriage. It? Well, I mean, Sharbir was resistant, and he had to get the opinion of the High Council of Judges, and he couldn't really, you know, um, you know ignore them. At least I would give Sharbir the credit that Mashnut does not have, which is, even though he was resistant to the idea, when the judges issued their opinion once and twice, he complied. Mm-hmm. So even though he was resistant, he did respect the judiciary. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, there are d- a dozen or so marriages that got registered in the last few weeks of Marwan Sharbil, because this all happened in the last few weeks of his time as Minister of Interior. And then... Um, and that was until 2013? This was in 2013. 13, yeah. Okay. Um, and then... Um, when Nuhad al-Mashnu came in, he stopped registering new marriages. Ironically, um, the marriages that are registered kept on being registered, and under Nuhad al-Mashnu, the ministry for those couples that did get married, if they got children, they would add them to their uh, couple certificate, uh-huh. the they would issue new for these people. So it's not like, oh, you know, we there's just a precedent in the past. No, 
it's constantly operational. The Ministry of Interior constantly reaffirmed that those marriages were legal because you could get what akhraj aid aili, this family certificate, under Mashnu, the Ministry of Interior issued them, which is the Ministry of Interior saying, these people are a family. These two persons who got married in Lebanon, I'm telling you to the outside world by giving you this document, you're a family. So that means I'm telling you, their marriage is still valid. Their marriage was valid. So their marriages were never annulled? Never. Okay, but new marriages weren't prevented. And new marriages, uh, just to be clear, the Interior Ministry does not, does not have any capacity to make a marriage valid or not mar- valid. What they are doing is just withholding documents from these couples. It's a type of administrative harassment, really. It's to tell you, you know, because as a, a, a contract is formed at the moment it's executed by both parties and it's valid under law and backed by judicial opinions and you need a notary public, which these contracts did have. What the Ministry of Interior under Mashnut did was to not to, and they have nothing, no authority as to whether it's valid or not. What they did was, oh, I'm not going to give you the paperwork. I'm going to bully you. You did something, it's valid, but I'm going to bully you now. I know you want this paperwork because it helps facilitate your life. I'm not going to give it to you. That's what they did. And So, and the, so the marriages are just in limbo. The, registration, the marriages legally are valid. They're valid, but they're, the processing the, is just stuck. The processing, Mashnut never even rejected the request to register them. Uh-huh. He had no legal basis to. He pretended that they were never submitted. How do you know that? Is that because I know the couples who, who submitted their paperwork to get and I know that they've not gotten any response. They have no, not, not only did they not get a registration certificate that they got registered, but they were not told in writing, you know, denied for this reason. There's no denial. There's no rejection. They're just, we pretend you don't exist. Can you maybe offer perspective on why he was reluctant as opposed to Marwan Sharbil, who seemed to be in sync with what you're talking about? I think Sharbil was reluctant. He was, though, willing to cave in to what the judiciary and what the law was. Fine. Um, That's, yeah. So why w- why did that change? You don't go to the embassy and you're like, oh, yeah, we're married. Look at my contract. That's just not how, the, how even though the contract is valid, you say, look at my registry certificate. We're, we're a family. So what he did was to harm them bureaucratically in this way, to make their life difficult. Peer pressure. And, okay, and so- to create the illusion... Mm-hmm. That it's not legal. Right. But they have not been struck down. So they're just... Oh, they were never... Yeah. Okay. Now, l- let's jump into this a little deeper. Are we talking sp- just about Kirke and Dar al-Fatwa, that kind of pushback? or And wh- why would it impact him and not other ministers before him? Or perhaps ministers after him. Why? Why well, is I that? Mean, they may have been impacted, but still chosen that you know the law was more important than their personal ambitions. I mean, it may have had an impact on Marwan Sharbil. I think he was a presidential hopeful. Uh, I think he had minimal decency in this matter. Now that he's not minister of interior anymore, uh, we've sort of. Is there an assumption that it should just sort of go back to how it was before? Under I, I think that's. What the, that that's the obligation under law. Okay, so these religious these civil marriages are still ongoing. It's not just the dozen that we talked about; they're just not being processed. That's correct. Do you know how many have been stuck in limbo like this? I believe there are dozens of them that got held up. Dozens, but that number. And is... I know that notary. Pu- no, but I know that the, there are notary publics who receive phone calls constantly, mm-hmm. and 
under Mashnut, they, the notary publics told them, listen, we can do it, but we know what's going to happen on the other end, so yeah. why do it? But dozens doesn't sound like a big figure. Right. So you've made it very clear that the easiest civil marriage choice is in Beirut. Right. Yet, I'm guessing hundreds, if not thousands, That's correct. of marriages correct. have been done abroad in those in the same so years. Because it's easier um, if the law were applied, but given the harassment by the Ministry of Interior, you know, one can understand that people don't want to be harassed. Is that harassment ongoing now? It's to be seen. I don't... I mean, I know that, well, it's there's been at least public support by the current Minister of Interior, but... I guess that's maybe that's a sign of something hopeful down the road. But as of now, I'm assuming nothing has changed in principle, with or without. Uh, so mission. far, nothing. Nothing has changed. has changed. Yeah, I'm curious about uh, one issue, which is uh, your the the religion you're born with in Lebanon. Yeah. Is there a need to prove your religion beyond your father's religion? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, so, first of all, one isn't born with a religion, um, at least not in Islam or Christianity. These are religions of belief, uh, not religions of birth. It's not an Very ethnicity. philosophy student, I remember. I should always remember that, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's fundamental. I mean, these are religions based on faith. Um, not all religions are religions of faith, but Islam and Christianity are. And if you don't believe in Islam, you're not Muslim leave. Uh, you can be Muslim socially. Yes, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, because I'm, I'm talking in a very narrow sense, yeah. the sectarian world of Lebanese governance, uh, you, you can be an atheist and you're still Muslim, Sunni, Shia, whatever. I mean, right. I, I guess I'm talking about the simple registration that you, you which you shared, the ikhraj yeah. aid, that you, you know, got removed. Is that something that is automated? That so no, it is it is automated, and it's not automated with any legal basis. Yes, then, so, if you're not baptized, are you Christian by default? So in Lebanon, the practice currently, um, not the rule, because there is no rule or law, but the practice of the administrators is when you bring them your birth certificate, they see your father's name, they identify the sect that your father is listed under, and they will automatically register you, the child, under that sect. Regardless of if you are following that religion's practice. You're just born, so you're not following it. But it, it, regardless even of what the parents' wishes are, the father or the mother are not asked a question. You know, do you want to register your child? Do you want them to decide at age 18? Do, nothing. It's a thoughtless process. So the peculiarity that I'm interested in, as far as I know, to be, I mean, Islam is maybe more lenient that you are, you're born Muslim whether you're going to become Muslim in your own life or not. From what I know, Christianity doesn't work that way. You need to have some official sort of Christian process. Okay. If you're not baptized in Lebanon, you are Christian by state recognition. I mean, the state recognition process, let's just take it one step further and think about the Jews in Lebanon. Well, I was, yeah, I this was is what I was give you going an to give example in, to think of yeah. just as in a case that can separate and think about the process in state records has nothing to do with the religious traditions. Okay, so you Because are, in Jewish tradition, yes. mm -hmm. how is one, it is a religion of inheritance and it's based on Your the mother. religion of the mother, yeah. not the father. But in Lebanon, 
If you are born to a father who's registered as a Jew you're and a, a mother who's not, they will put you as a Jew. But right. if the reverse is true, your mother's Jewish, your father is Muslim, for instance, they will put you as Muslim. Not so, so the practice of the administrator has nothing to do with the religions. It could be that under yeah. Islam, you need to believe or not, or under Christianity, there's baptism at a certain age. It's not the moment you're born. It's nothing to do. The administrator says, to hell with you know what you religious do. I look at what the father's registered under. You're born, done. So the administration process is regardless of your own religious sort of tradition, tradition or legality yeah. when it comes to Jewish law or even Christian practice. Yeah, it's a perverse sectarian method that is not respectful even of religious traditions. Now, I wonder if this is a unique situation that only Lebanon has this, where you're a, you become religion even against the religious... Oh, the own norms of the religion and the traditions yeah. of the religion. Lebanese Jews are so small in number, so it's not, maybe it's not a mainstream issue when it comes yeah. to... But it, that's a clear example of how you're defying Jewish law. Uh, Christianity, if you're not... If you don't... If you're a Christian, whether you're baptized or not, it's almost in defiance of Christian norms. Um, and that is, in, in itself, a strange situation. The Lebanese state has taken on a role of religious, its own religious law. Yeah. I, I mean... Its own allegations. It's, it's own, replaced yeah. religious traditions with a bureaucratic practice that's not even based in Lebanese law. There's no Lebanese law that tells the administrator, oh, register him based on what his father's registered. Oh, no, there's nothing there. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, this is just some... This is just them behaving, you know... <laughs> this doesn't go back to 1936. Oh, no, 19, there's nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing that requires you to be your father's not religion. At all. This is just administrators behaving cuckoo. This should be stopped. This is not... I mean, this is. these are administrators who are just uh, abusing their power, I think. Are you... Okay, so... You walked us through how to do how to do civil marriage. Can you do the same when it comes to choosing your own religion? Can you go in and say, "No, I'm not going to be my father's religion. I'm going to be whatever." Well, for Protestant. sure, for religious like conversion Protestant. in Lebanon is allowed in state records under 36. So that's been that is in law that one can switch from religion to the next. Um, but that would require religious documents, right? You can't yep. just sort of walk in and say, "I am exactly. now something else." Yes, that does. My understanding is that it does. But, but removing no reference to sect doesn't because you're not making any statement about whether you are or aren't religious or belong to a sect or don't. Okay. You're just making a free choice. I do not want to declare a religion to the state, even if I have one. So, so there's no legal requirement for you to be your father's religion. That's just a norm that somehow developed over time. It's a practice, yeah. Uh, there's nothing preventing you from changing religions as long as you can back it up with some... If you want, yeah. If you changing, want. which is different from removing reference to sect. Yeah, and then that's the third issue, which is now you've taken us through that, yeah. removing it. Okay. What a very complicated system for something fairly trivial. I think which is it's <laughs> complicated if one thinks of it. Um, the reason why it's complicated is because the framework, the fundamental framework shouldn't be people remove reference to sect. We're forced now to start by saying, oh, I want to remove reference because we've been forced by this administrator who, when I was born, listed me just like my father was listed, who in turn was listed just like his father was listed, who in turn was listed like his father. And it's an endless story. Yeah. But in reality, Lebanese citizens should not be listed under a sect and should then be allowed, if they wish, to declare a sect. So it's not like I need to go and tell him, oh, I don't declare. Wait a minute. When did I ever declare? Why, why do I need to go now and say, 
you know, I can, I believe that one can withdraw a declaration made. But now when I go remove reference to sect, it's as if I'm withdrawing a declaration that I never made. So the, in, in reality, the system should be, and which is consistent with current laws, that Lebanese are not registered under a sect by default. Either the parents are asked if they want to register them, or when they reach 18, they can register under a sect. So it's not a secular system where, oh no, you can't be under a sect, you can't fall under religious law. But that's for you to declare, not for me to opt out of, but you can opt into. So the default, I think, should be shifted. That would, in effect, change the whole thing. Because then the gov- the whole makeup of what Lebanon is and what it has represented is undone. And that, I think, is a very, uh, that's a bold statement. Has anyone even suggested that, other than what you're talking about here? I think definitely it's been suggested by people who have worked on civil marriage, removing reference to sect. Dalal Husseini has for sure. Um, I think the idea, though, that there is a default and then that there are specialized laws for certain groups is not bold in law. It exists. You know, we have general contract law, and then we have specific contracts, consumer contracts, uh, industrial contracts. Um, they're the specialized category. I, I uh, wanted to ask you about mixed marriages. Yeah. That's never been an issue in the country, so long as one of the two converts. Uh, even if you don't convert um, necessarily, you can, uh, you can have mixed marriages in certain circumstances. Okay, so a... A Sunni and a Shia can keep their respective sects and get married and retain their respective sects? Under Islamic law, my understanding is yes. Right. So, but a Maronite Shia, for example, can get married, but they don't need to, one doesn't need to convert. They can retain it. The Maronite can stay Maronite, Shia can stay Shia, but the contract is one of the two. The contract is one of the two, and it's not always the case, though, that the, the, the law will allow mixed marriages. So, for what, instance, what under Sunni, let me give you an example, mm-hmm. a concrete yeah. one. So, uh, under Sunni family law, a male, a, man, a male Sunni who's registered Sunni can marry a woman who's registered as Christian. Under, and they can have a religious katbiktib. They can do a Without Sunni, necessary conversion. Without conversion. However, a Sunni woman under Sunni law, cannot marry a Christian man. And so their contract, if they go to a sheikh or they do a katbiktib, that contract is not valid under Sunni law. Right. It's not that it's a crime or anything, but it's just not valid. Yeah. And how many religions... This is, I just want to emphasize this point. Yeah. A lot of the hysteria here, even among people who are like against civil marriage with Latif and they make a big deal. Okay, so legally, what's the most that you're saying? You're saying this contract isn't valid. You're not saying... There's no crime here that's being committed. You know, at most your argument is, oh, you know, the contract isn't valid. People sign documents all the time that are valid or not valid. This is just a rational, calm debate about the validity of contracts. It's not about crimes. I mean, part of the terrorism on the part of people against civil marriage is to try to create this into this grand, you know, uh, as if it were, you know, some wrong involved. People think of Lebanon as a sectarian country from a legal standpoint. I would say from a legal standpoint, Lebanon is neither a secular country nor a purely sectarian country. It's a hybrid country with, that tolerates religious marriages but also civil marriages. So it's somewhere in between. It's a civil state. It's neither a secular state nor a sectarian state. It's a, it's a, it's a broadly pluralistic state. Is this a, an issue that has uh, popular will, that the numbers are there? 
And is this an issue that should be addressed politically to the traditional class? Or is this something that they need to feel pressured by to make this... I think that there are more uh, people in Lebanon who are favorable to optional civil marriage, to letting people get married civilly, even if they do or don't want to do it, than there are members in any sect of Lebanon. So, What do you mean by that? So if we look at the largest religious communities in Lebanon, let's say they represent 30% of the country or so, I think more than 30% of the country is favorable to optional civil marriage. I would say it's over 50, but I'm going conservative and I'm saying... There is a very substantial portion of the population that is with for it optional. And again, I'm not trying to impose it on anyone. So this is not a cross-sectarian uh, fear issue. It's not like if uh, one group does civil marriage, the other group will diminish in value. This, this is a neutral issue in itself because I think it impacts everybody. you may be going with this is there is an argument um, that I've heard, which is that oh, Christians will do it most and Muslims won't, and then, oh, look, Christians will be diluted. You know, that argument is just really silly. One, because uh, to my knowledge, among those who have removed reference to sect, most of them are Muslim, as far as I can tell. But there's another reason why it's silly. Christians in Lebanon, there's a civil law for inheritance in Lebanon that was issued by Lebanon's parliament. That law only applies to Christians who are registered as Christians. It does not apply to Muslims. The law itself and the way it's drafted um, applies to those who are غير muhammadiyin is the way it's... Uh, Within Lebanese, Lebanese law? Yes, yeah, so it applies to Lebanese, Christians, Jews, uh, but not to those registered as Muslim. And that law exists. It's been existed for decades, but it has not in any way made Christians in Lebanon divided or less, you know, it has no impact, you know, is whether... That, is that RL uh, 60 as well? No, or this is a law that got so, issued by parliament much okay. later. Um, so... To say that if people get married civilly or not, well, there's in civil inheritance for part of the population. See, you, you hadn't heard of this, I guess, and it had no bearing. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's good for the people if they want to do it. But Can a non-Christian opt into that? Uh, well, if you remove reference to sect... Only that way, I see. So removing references to sect is by default becoming Christian in inheritance? No, <laughs> no. It's no, I mean, it's, you're, you're being, you're up, the same standard is applied then to Christians and non-Christians? Um the same standard is applied there to people who are Christians, and, yes, in matters of inheritance. But you're describing something that has popular will. If it's more than 30%, that's already a, a huge achievement in the country. I mean, the statistics I've seen say 60%. I don't know much about 60. I don't, I don't, I have some hesitance about quoting statistics in Lebanon. Well, let's just assume that there is a, a sizable number of Lebanese that are on board. Would that, in your opinion, require a bottom-up approach where you have people rallying to this cause and that's that happens every now and then you do have protests and sort of anti-sectarian protests and you, you see it but it never really materializes into more than that yeah because what's good here is that you can then take action um, not just to protest which is definitely a a civic and political right but also to then enforce it in one's own case one can remove reference to sect one can get a civil marriage one can start building so there's a legal hook to this. But is that something that requires is it the bottom up or top class? down? It's bottom up. Bottom up. Yes. Bottom up. This is definitely bottom up. This is but if you think of that let's go back. Khalud and Nidal. Yes. In your opinion, is that a bottom up approach where it's one case and it's being followed through and it's successful? Or is that a top bottom issue where you had the judges sort of 
decreeing that that was the case, and the minister was reluctant. Yeah, to, yeah. To, I, no, mean, so I think it's bottom-up in terms of the initiative, um, because this issue would have never been before the judges had the couple not contracted a civil marriage and insisted this is legal. Yeah. Um, it's So that's bottom-up. It's top-down in the sense not just the judges, but because it's legal under current law. And that law, it's not, you know, these citizens who are starting to do stuff that's not legal and they're just insisting that it's legal. No, it is legal under the legal framework that is top down. So so it's the initiative that's bottom up. Yes. But the regulatory framework is top down. So what would it take for those two things to line up properly where this actually becomes the norm, where you have enough bottom up and enough top down to make this not just a few maybe a dozen or so, that this becomes standard practice? Well, I think the reason why we're in the dozens is because of the obstruction that was caused. But that's still, the number is not that high. So I'm, I'm, I mean in terms of genuine momentum, mm-hmm. where it reaches the numbers that are going abroad. I mean, they're not, let's say they don't go abroad anymore. They're staying in the country, and they're they're forcing... I think once the obstruction stops, that might happen. So in your opinion, that's really what it comes down to? Yes. Okay. I think even when you start doing it in Lebanon, you might get more than just the numbers who go abroad because some people choose not to go abroad because they want to get a marriage in Lebanon. And the obstruction which you walked us through is multifaceted, but it also comes down to individual uh, individual abuse of power. Abuse of power. Maybe we're lucky that we have a well, we have a, a unique circumstance that this is now a bigger issue than it was before that we have precedent and we have a change within the Minister of Interior and maybe maybe it'll become a bigger issue down the road. I mean, I know it's always cautious optimism in the country for anything when it comes to, you know, any issue that's cautious, very cautious optimism. But uh, you're both passionate and as far as I can tell, you're still optimistic that there is a chance for this to take off later. I think so. Yeah. I think um, I'm confident on the law in the fact that Lebanese society is not just, is greater than the sum of its parts, that it's not just Sunni, Shia, Maronite, and Druze. I think that those aspects of society exist, but I think Lebanese society is not limited to them. And and I think that that greater diversity uh, sooner or later will take shape. One question I often get is, okay, so... Civil marriage, it's legal in Lebanon, but then, like, let's say there's a divorce, hopefully not, but there's a divorce or some dispute arising out of the marriage, like custody, child custody, uh, separation of wealth and assets. Uh, well, there are no civil courts in Lebanon. And the answer is, well, of course there are civil courts. There are civil courts in Lebanon for every matter, usually, other than family matters, because they have their own religious courts. But the civil courts in Lebanon that adjudicate commercial matters adjudicate a civil marriage signed in Cyprus. So if you get a civil marriage in Cyprus or in Germany, and you live in Lebanon, you want to get divorced, you don't go to a Sharia court or Mahakim Ruhiyya, Christian religious courts. You go to these civil courts. So these courts exist, and they have competence and jurisdiction. There's no difference if your contract was signed in Beirut or in Cyprus yeah. for, for the issue of courts. So the courts exist, and they have competence. Another sort of practical issue I get is, Okay, so we want, we need a, a party to uh, you know officiate or authenticate the marriage. Um, who do we go to? We some we're used to going to a sheikh or a, uh, a priest or someone. So who who do we go to for civil marriage? 
Um, and in Lebanon, um, the judges decided that it would be the notary publics, Kateb Adel. And they have authority because uh, by virtue of the fact that they have residual authority in Lebanon to authenticate any document that is legally binding, unless that authority is specifically given to another branch of government. So unless there is a text, which there is none, that says civil marriages are specifically authenticated by a muhtar, for instance, or by some any other authority, then notary publics by default have the authority to do it. Abdallah, I love you, and my love for you will never stop growing. Even the afterlife doesn't seem like a scary idea if I get to spend it hand in hand with you. There is no other man in the world I could possibly love more than you, and I cannot wait to spend the rest of my lifetime. You've walked us through a very challenging subject, and I really appreciate you being sort of doing two things, offering a wide perspective on the issue and also getting to the details, which are very, in my opinion, very difficult. I know you're, maybe you describe them differently, but I, as somebody who knows nothing about the subject or knows very little, I think this is a refreshing way to look at an issue that in uh, maybe it's one of those few issues today in the country that, as you said, the numbers are there and with enough bottom-up and top-down pressure, maybe this can take hold. Um, and I think it's a general approach, not just civil marriage, not just removing reference to sect. The general approach to law, citizens and the law, you know, for other issues, the environment, anything that has to do with human rights, women's rights, um, civic rights, the idea that one can bring a lawsuit, that one should move, not, not because we have full faith in the court system. No, sometimes there needs to be social pressure. But the idea that citizens can take the initiative under Lebanese law and act, not just because we often think about political activism in Lebanon as that's great, of course. Going to the parliament, that's very important. The executive branch of government is very important, but the judiciary is also important. And there is room for civic activism at that level. But this is where I want to sort of be the devil's advocate, that the pessimism that creeps in when it comes to environmental issues. I mean, there's enough outrage at what's happened to the country and very little improvement. Uh, human rights are maybe marginally better than they were, but maybe not. I mean, this is an issue that I think most Lebanese would agree to, and it's not enforced. Um, I mean, any issue where it should not be a sectarian one, there's a lot of pessimism that things do not improve. So, I mean, and you're, what you're describing is political... Uh, engagement, civil society, but when that does not take off, and when that is not sort of, when there's no momentum behind that, does that maybe turn you off from the from the issue? I think it's definitely helpful to have momentum in civil society to make any legal effect, even before the judiciary. So, if we think about the in the U.S. the civil rights movement, people think of Martin Luther King as the hero of it, and not of of Thurgood Marshall the judge on the Supreme Court, um, and who was before that an advocate before the Supreme Court. And there's a reason for that. It's because Martin Luther King was the real hero and not Thurgood Marshall. But Martin Luther King didn't change any law or apply or reinterpret any law or grant any legal rights. He created the political movement that 
for the administrators and the judges who really operationalized it had the political cover and the social backing and the mood was there for them to be able to apply the law. And I think that's very important. That's why it's so important what we're doing, and thanks for this opportunity, for Lebanese who do care about this issue to know about it, to know about how it's actually legal, to understand, to better understand, and if they disagree with me, that's great. I mean, I'm not trying to present it in a dogmatic way. I'm just presenting my understanding of it. But it's so important, I think, to have a discussion on facts and for people who do care to better understand them and to then be able to pr provide the social, cultural, and political backing for these ideas and other ones. Um, again, like, you know, lawyers and judges have their role, um, but it's a tandem between them and civil, civic society. But is there any hope for that to change in the country where rules are respected, laws are enforced properly? I mean, because I like the analogy, and you're right. It's not about Thurgood Marshall. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it is Martin Luther King Jr., and it's everyone that was there with him at that time. But that's a system that allows for change and allows for a new set of rules that are enforced. So the Lebanese system, we're very lucky actually by the fact that it is uh, very far from perfect, but very far from imperfect. So to give you an example, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is in the Lebanese constitution and is in the introduction to the constitution. And the constitutional court has ruled that the introduction to the constitution has the force of the constitution. Lebanon contributed to that. Yes, of course. Of Human, yeah, yeah. But of course, so Lebanon contributed to drafting it, but it then reincorporated it under Ta'if, under the Ta'if agreements. Part of the amendments of Ta'if was to incorporate. We often think about Ta'if as, oh, what are the powers of the prime minister versus the president? That's part of what happened. But I think as important, if not more, is the incorporation of this universal declaration into the constitution, making it no longer just an international norm, but a binding Lebanese law. So. That doesn't mean that all Lebanese law is that favorable to civic activism or human rights, but it does mean that we have, that's just one example, a favorable law. RL60, which says civil law applies to those who remove reference to sect, is favorable. Let me just give you an example in a different context. Um, we talk about women's rights to give nationality to their children. Okay, well, that's protected under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But that's my point. Which is in the Constitution. This is, you're going back, yeah, this is exactly my point, that here you have something that is not taking place in the country. So, I mean, where... So I think there's room for um, the judiciary, I mean, to, I think, I haven't thought it through enough, but there is room for a woman who is denied, who, who, who can claim, I want my son or daughter to have my citizenship, um, it's denied. She brings a lawsuit against the state authority. I believe it's the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or Interior. I'm not sure which one issues the passport to then bring a suit. Um, the government authority would then oppose to her and say, well, the law on nationality doesn't uh, allow it. And then one would need to look at the law. But part of the counter argument would be, well, this is in breach of fundamental principles in the constitution of equality between citizens. How can you talk about equality between citizens? And then one of the most fundamental things, which is citizenship, is passed on by one sect, by one sex, but not the other. So in, in absence of a functioning state, you're really depending on individuals to take action on their own. Yeah. And that's really where it lands, because you described a situation where it's up to a minister to either approve or disapprove for 
perhaps personal reasons. You're walking us through a, uh, a situation where somebody has to literally make one example an issue where it's not a bureaucratic issue. And I think that's the, that's the gap. That's the schism between the analogy you refer to, which is Martin Luther King. It wasn't about him going around one every place and making it a personal cause. I mean, in the end, he was killed, and the laws went into effect with or without him. Thurgood Marshall is just one person who's gone today, and the laws still apply. Mm -hmm. I guess in Lebanon, it comes down to people proactively taking it into their own hands on a daily basis. Yes, proactively on a daily basis, and to refuse to accept that the state has collapsed and failed, um, and to refuse to accept that the Lebanon that we see in practice is the Lebanon, not only the Lebanon that we believe in and hope for, but the Lebanon that, as you said, authored the universe, co-authored the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that incorporated into the Constitution, that has some of the most progressive laws in the region, uh, that has some of the most educated uh, youth in the region, uh, one of the most educated workforce in the region, that has an economy that, despite becoming fragile due to debt, has still a lot of potential. I'd like um, to be devil's advocate one more time. Sure. You said belief in refusing, r refusing to believe that the state has collapsed and failed. What is Lebanon today if it hasn't, if the state hasn't collapsed and failed? What would you describe the, the, the government as? I think there's a de facto rule by sectarian mafias. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, but I don't think it's a de jure or lawful rule. Mm -hmm. And that takes me to the second point, which is, could one argue the opposite, which is the de facto situation is what has provided Lebanon with a unique breathing space among groups, that there is a sense of openness contrary to the rest of the region, that that is the complicated sectarian system that made Lebanon look different and maybe feel different than the region, but that has added to its own demise. Yes, I, well, I agree with... So, again, I'm not like a top-down secularist. I agree that the pluralism has very much helped Lebanon. Sectarianism has harmed it. Um, that's, diversity that's, I like, is I like a good that, thing. I like that division. So diversity plur pluralism is Pluralism has helped and sectarianism has harmed. Yes, I think... Discrimination. I don't, I don't think it's described that way that often. I think discrimination is the problem, but tolerance and respect for diversity and inclusion of diversity is great, and that does make us stand out. Would pluralism be possible in Lebanon without the sectarian framework? I think that the sectarian framework as it is today is suffocating the ingenuity of the Lebanese. So what we need is a situation that recognizes the existence of sex, that gives them their rights, rights to worship, rights to practice, not a system that destroys or tries to eliminate them. That would be wrong. That would be bad. But one that says we have sects, but we also have individuals. We have citizens. And we need to rebalance those. Things that my father and I used to discuss, and I think that was always an issue on his mind where you could give, you could protect pluralism that yes. way and enshrine individual liberty through a standard parliament. But the Senate would be that mosaic. Yes, of course. I think that's definitely, I mean, it's not just about, you know, removing references sect and civil marriage. Having a Senate that protects um, sex interests and that would have governing authority on matters 
of uh, re religious freedom, for instance, because, uh, and you could protect it by giving every sect a veto right there on any law issued. So no sect can get sort of overridden by any other sect, no matter how large. Yeah. But then when it comes to other issues, like the environment, I mean, is that really a Sunni issue more than it is a Druze issue, the environment? Exactly, exactly. So yeah. make a parliament, non-sectarian, that has authority on issues that are relevant to all Lebanese. And that's the breathing room for citizenship and individuals. And then a Senate, which guarantees and protects the sect. I mean, I think what we need, and again, this goes back to the idea of a civil state, not a sectarian state, nor a secular state, because a secular state ignores the reality of Lebanon. A sectarian state impairs the potential of Lebanon. The sectarian state is just saying, you're just sex, no. And the secular state says, there's, there are no sects, and that's also wrong. But let's go further with this. Now that we, we're venturing away from civil marriage, where we're actually perhaps getting into the, the, the really the heart of the issue, which is, is that even on the de, the feasibility for a Senate in Lebanon's parliament, is that even discussed remotely? Today? Not enough. And and sometimes when it's discussed, it's not discussed in the context that the parliament, so the other house, would not be sectarian, which defeats the point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's sometimes discussed by saying, oh, well, the president of the Senate needs to be Druze because we don't have a presidency that's yeah. Druze in Lebanon. And that's not, the, that's not the fundamental purpose of the Senate. I mean, fine, maybe you know, there should be a presidency that's Druze among those that rotate, perhaps. But that's not the idea. That's not the purpose of the Senate. This conversation today, you've challenged, I think, uh, many of the false assumptions we have about Lebanon's predicament. And maybe you've also reinforced some of the uh, the heartache when it comes to battling through these issues, especially given the climate Lebanon faces at any given point. It's rarely stable enough for civil issues to emerge and take hold. Usually we're talking about geopolitics, not domestic politics. And this is a real domestic issue. And yeah, this is definitely clouded. domestic. And I agree that the region, the tide, Sunni, uh, Shia tension in the region um, is not helpful for these issues, but like we need to move forward or else we'll fall back. There's no, you can't like, you know, just freeze in life, you know, either the tide pushes you towards sectarianism or you try to move towards tolerance uh, and real pluralism. There's no, there's no sitting on the sidelines of history. Well, you're a champion of tolerance. And I don't know about that much. Well, you, are, you are. And uh, I thank you today for this wonderful conversation. Let me just end on a funny note. Um, the person who, after I told him, you're not going to put Badun Madhab, you're going to put a slash. And he looked at me, he's like, I'm going to put it big. I'm like, sure, go ahead, make it as large as you want. So that's why he included the occupation as well. He, he almost slashed off the whole. The guy could have been really progressive and you know slashed your gender as well yeah and everything say, no, everything we're going full throttle here but no. even less name doesn't <laughs> matter cares? just first name no first one needs name. A name you're fine you're just a, maybe that's the solution none of that none on of the that. record just, just a, a number and just, a photo just a number and a photo <laughs> nobody would know who you are and they wouldn't care maybe that's what it is just a number but that's maybe reaching that's a bit too beyond far. what i have but that's, that's beyond both of us for now abdullah thank you Thank you so much, Roni. It was a lovely ceremony at Sursot Palace Gardens. 
and nothing felt controversial about the event. Abdullah makes a good case for civil marriage in Lebanon, and he firmly believes in the Lebanese state's duty to recognize civil marriage. Now, Abdullah is a lawyer, and he's looking at the legality of the issue, hence his pursuits in the Ministry of Interior. Abdullah shies away from the religious stuff altogether, and Abdullah and his wife, Mary Jo Nassif, are still pursuing their civil marriage registration in Lebanon. And last week, we had Nadim Shahadi arguing against civil marriage. Today, it's Abdullah Salam arguing for the merits of civil marriage. Next week, we'll be with Rayel Hassan, the Minister of Interior, and we'll get to hear her take on many issues affecting Lebanon, including the debate surrounding civil marriage. <laughs>